Hey friends, I hope you're having an amazing day. This is a shameless plug going out to my free downloads. I just loaded up cycling snacks. So these are a great way to make your own healthy snacks for a training inside, outside, or for the family. So go to askcoachsylvie.com and download them today. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Dao, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, welcome back to another episode of Secrets from the Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Deu. And I am super excited to have this gentleman, this pro racer on our podcast. Tyler Landine is um, like, I saw him on my, my Instagram and I was, I just put it out there and he was so generous to give up his time for my podcast to talk about some really well-needed topics of mental health and the athletes and but we're going to talk about athletes um everyday people but here's a little bit of background on tyler before we bring him out so tyler is a professional cyclist from phoenix no longer phoenix actually he is sitting in uh, arkansas northwest arkansas yeah northwest arkansas um, his life for t- his love for two wheels began at the age of three when his dad rolled his first bike into the garage. It's just like most, most of us. Um, Taylor drew up, uh, grew up frequently, uh, frequenting the local moto track. So sort of like a love of motorcycles on the weekends. Yep. And then in 2005, Taylor entered his first downhill mountain bike race, which led him to the world of competitive racing. So before we get into him, he is last. So he's turned pro. We're going to get all his background, but his last big race that we are going to touch on was the 2021 Unbound Gravel XL race of 350 miles. I've just, I'm doing more podcasts on these long endurance races. I'm like, whoa, amazing. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me on, and I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, glad we could sit down and do this. I'm so glad that, um, yeah, I am glad too, actually. Um, I, I'm actually a little nervous, I won't lie, um, just because I'll tell you, um, I listened, like I was mentioning before, I listened to your podcast, which is, if you go to his uh, Instagram account, he's got a podcast up there that he just did, I believe, with uh, Derek Teal. Uh, dialed health and I had no idea um the you know the mental health um I'd say issues but um struggles that you were yeah that you were going through just listening to that and uh, also a little bit of fun stuff about your unbound <laughs> mm-hmm. and getting your stomach ready I was like 
what people actually <laughs> do that <laughs> yeah so i want to shout out uh derek and his podcast teal health uh dialed health and you know go listen to his episode there but so before we get into all that other stuff I always love to ask, like, how did you get into cycling? Besides your dad bringing home um, your bike at the age of three, how did yeah. you get? How did it get started, really? <laughs> For sure. So I grew up um, in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, my dad has always ridden and raced mountains as long as I can remember. Um, when I was younger, I was kind of more into the the moto scene, so going to the local motorcycle tracks. And at the time I didn't have my driver's license. So my dad was taking me to the moto tracks on the weekends. And for the longest time there, he was like, Taylor, you live in and around in his opinion. And now my opinion, one of the best places to ride mountain bikes in the country. Uh, and that was right on South mountain in Phoenix, Arizona. And he's like, wow. I, I can't continue taking you to the, the tracks like every weekend. You can't rely on me. Like, why don't you pick up? a bike and it's in your backyard and I pushed it off pushed it off for the longest time and finally one day I went for a ride with him uh probably in 2004 and I was instantly hooked I was like <laughs> I can't believe I've pushed this off for so long like literally out our front door it was mm -hmm. probably a three to four minute ride to be on single track in the desert and Phoenix there. So like, it just, that kind of changed things for me. Um, had no aspirations of racing at that time or doing anything like that. I just wanted to go out and explore like after school with my dad mm -hmm. in the evenings and the mornings, whatever it was. And that quickly led to, um, obviously I think most kids when they're younger, they look up to their parents, whether it's their, their mother or their father. Right. And my dad was always racing. He was doing at the time, um, 24 hours in Moab, 24 hours in Moab on a team. Right. That, yeah. that was, that was his big event of the year. And at, at the time, 24 hours of Moab was huge. So I was always kind of around that scene. Um, I really didn't have much like personal interest in doing it myself, but I was interested. Mm -hmm. Like I, I saw him training and I saw all the logistics being planned and one thing led to another and he kind of fell out of that style of racing and started racing downhill. And, um, oh. I, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of wow. odd, but, um, yeah, <laughs> I followed in his footsteps there. Cause I, it was a way for my dad and I to spend time together on the weekends and show mm -hmm. up to races. And, um, yeah, we did that for a handful of years together and had a blast doing it. And, um, it, I, I liked downhill racing, but at the same time, I just wasn't, I didn't have that like natural talent that you needed. Um, I still really enjoyed it, but I enjoyed like just being on my bike all day. Yeah. Like, that's what I, I loved going to races. Cause you could, you could race downhill. You could race cross country. You could, there's so many things you could do. And it's like, why limit myself just to one thing? Uh, it was probably because I didn't have the talent just to race downhill. Uh, well, downhill's a bit of a like you gotta be specific, and that's like just opening it up down the hill, and there's nothing. Yep. And I, you know, like mountain bike racing is fun because you get to see more terrain, you get to 
change your gears a couple of times. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> like, I can and see I, how it'd I, be like lose its, its, you know, appeal after a while. You're like, okay. Yeah. And you know, I, so my downhill bike in Phoenix, we didn't have, we didn't have any chairlifts or anything. And uh, I would oh. ride after school and I didn't have anybody to shuttle me. So I would pedal my downhill bike up to the top and then down and then back up right. and down. Um, so I got to really appreciate the time and everything that went into going out and pedaling up and down. So like, I just enjoyed that whole aspect. Um, I also just didn't have the size for downhill racing. I didn't have that like explosive fitness that those guys have. Um, Isn't it so more well, guts? Like really to be I able mean, to not be on your brakes and take the right line. There's and a lot, get there's down a lot as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things, but fitness is huge. Like those right. guys are incredibly fit, um, explosive fitness for sure. Wow. And hmm. I just, I didn't have that. And I, <laughs> I still really don't have that type of fitness. Uh, yeah one thing led to another I uh, kind of fell out of the downhill racing uh, had some interest in endurance stuff at, at that time and then wasn't very serious into it then I kind of transitioned into enduro racing which was kind of a mix of downhill and cross country right. fell out of that and then <laughs> in 2014 my wife and I moved to Colorado for a year okay how'd you how'd you meet your wife mountain biking no uh <laughs> high school ceramics oh really <laughs> yeah yep. so who so, was in the ceramics class was it like you just it was just one of your electives you just went in there and you met or like you just like hey exactly <laughs> yep it was just an elective class and we both happened to be there and um yeah, I was a, what was I? I was a junior. She was a sophomore. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember you had to do, you were either a hand builder or on the wheel in ceramics. And I was horrible at the wheel. So I went to a hand builder and she did the same thing. And yeah, we've been together ever since. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> so does she share your love for cycling as well? Is she big into the bike scene? Like, just a supporter yeah I mean she cycling isn't her passion um mm -hmm. she worked for pivot cycles for six years she knows the industry really well she understands mm -hmm. racing really well she obviously yeah. knows me really well um <laughs> I trust anything and everything that she does in terms of the support side at oh, events awesome. especially like the the long races that are like 24 uh -huh. hours long I think that she knows it just as well as anybody else. So yeah, but cycling, no, it's not her, it's not her passion. Um, uh, and that's totally okay with me. Yeah. It's the same with my husband. He's, he does like the trail running, orienteering, and I do the racing and the cycling and, and it's great because yeah. there's no competition there, you know, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's <laughs> we just support like each you... other and have yeah. our different goals and it's good. Yep. And it's kind of like you can, when you're doing your thing, when you're done with that, you can put it away and then it's yeah. away for the day. You yeah. know what I mean? It's kind of like growing up, none of my friends rode or raced mountain bikes really. So it was yeah. just my, it felt like my thing. And it was kind of, it was special to me because when I went out on my bike, 
it was, it was my time and my time only. Yeah. Cool. So now how did you end up, like land into being a pro psych pro mountain biker? Uh, it, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> it's something that I, we, we, we moved to Colorado in 2014 and that's kind mm -hmm. of when 2014, 2015 was like, all right, I really want to figure this out. Like I want to, okay. I want, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it to hundred percent. I want to go uh -huh. all in. Um, yeah. and I was dealing with a lot of health issues at the time. Um, oh. stomach issues in particular, uh, like I would be down to a pretty, pretty low weight regularly. Um, I was, I don't want to be too graphic, but like, it wasn't uncommon for me to visit the restroom 10 to 15 times a day for as long as I can remember up until that point, it was wow. pretty, pretty bad. Uh, I just kind of accepted that. And so racing at the time, the majority of my events went horribly. A lot of them DNFs because of my stomach. Um, right. You had to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And ar around that time I was getting, I had two pretty major operations, my pancreas. Okay. And I would spend each of those operations. I would spend a week in the hospital. Um, they finally put a stent in my pancreas. Um, wow. And so it's kind of like, I was trying to do this cycling thing and then dealing with these stomach issues. And it was like, I couldn't really figure it out until yeah, 2015 hit. And it was like, okay, I'm starting to figure out my stomach. Um, around that time I had also figured out it, a lot of those stomach issues in hindsight now were yeah up oh it was I was dealing with so much depression and anxiety I think that I honestly created those issues in my stomach. um can can you talk about that because um I have a daughter She's 19 and being the mom, you know, and of course being the teenager, a young adult, she knows everything. And I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to um, offer up some help. Can, can you talk to me more about that? Like say, cause she's developed a lot of gut issues and, and it's, and it's stemming into her small intestines. Um, and I know that she goes through a lot of anxiety. And if you were trying to explain it more to a parent of who, like me, what would you say? Like now, knowing now, like what you figured out that your gut issues were um, created from your anxiety, what would you say? Like, how would you explain it? Because I'm trying to help her. Like, but yeah, you know, parent moms, can, moms don't know anything and she's done all the research and, you know, I just like, you know, I, right now I was just sending her some stuff on meditation. I'm like, maybe, you know, allowing your body to accept and she's like, this is not going to work. I'm like, <laughs> Anyways. So yeah, what would you say? What would you say uh, about that? Knowing what you know now? I mean, I can't speak. I can't speak for everybody but I know for me had I talked about what was going on in my head at right. that time that mm -hmm. would have been huge like I didn't realize how impactful it was 
like how much of a negative impact it had on my health holding right. that stuff in mm-hmm. uh and I just didn't feel like it was either a important to talk about or b I didn't want to like burden other people with m- my problems right and yeah you hold that stuff in long enough it's going to wreak havoc on your body both mentally I, and physically I totally agree now can you share some of that stuff and like how far back it started like was this something that um you developed as a child that was it um uh you know um traumatic incidents like what brought it on and have you been able to pinpoint where it kind of started there's really nothing traumatic that caused it uh i remember it have i remember having issues with anxiety and depression since i was like eight years old um i remember it centered around a family vacation at that time to mm-hmm. uh, California and coming home from that. And I was only eight years old, but I knew that something was different. Like something was, I, I felt like I was wired differently. Like I felt emotions way too strongly to be that age. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to deal with those emotions at that age. I didn't know like if I could talk about those emotions to my parents even at that age. Um, and I also, I recall feeling that deep sense of like hopelessness at age eight. Wow. And that, I knew that that was not normal. Right. Uh, it took a long time, obviously at that age, I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. Um, then you fast forward until, uh, 2009, I think, was a pretty traumatic year for my family and I. Um, okay. That, that year, my parents got divorced. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom was diagnosed with cancer for the second time. And then our house burned down on Christmas night. So that, I think that I held a lot of that stuff in from that year moving forward. Right. Um, the house fire was pretty severe in the sense that um my mom and I were kind of lucky to get out of there oh wow before it was too late so Mm -hmm. that had a pretty major impact on me and I think it still does for sure oh yeah I would imagine you still think about that now would you talk PTSD when it comes to stuff like that have you ever Uh, used that term because I think PTSD and mental health are probably like one in the same yeah like I've gone I've seen a lot of doctors for this mental health stuff for me personally. Mm-hmm. And um, they've put different terms on what has been going on with me. And yeah. I don't know, I I hate to just like narrow it down to one category or one thing. I know yeah. for me, it's just, it's there, it's present. So I don't really know exactly what it is. I've, we have put a label on it before. I personally don't like that because yeah. um it is what it is for me, I guess. That's not to say mm-hmm. that other people wouldn't benefit from knowing exactly what's going on. But for me, I just. Right. So, yeah. Um, huh. It's so, been 2009 was rough. I think that that was uh, I think that, that if anything was traumatic, I think that that was an issue. How old are you at that time? Uh, graduating high school. 
Okay. So that's a significant time in your life at that mm-hmm. age. Now, do you find, uh, Taylor, that a lot of your getting on your bike has been a lifesaver for you between like age eight and there? Because like I talked to so many people, like bikes have just been saviors for a lot of people. Being able to yeah. get out and ride. and I do. I think that um, there's been times where it has been unhealthy for me. Uh, <laughs> Because especially when I was like getting into the sport, I, I will admit that I didn't know how to deal with the issues that were going on my, in my head. So I, I naturally would mask that with something. And yeah. at the time it was the bike, right? So like mm-hmm. I would, whether it was, I was getting off school or getting off work, uh, I would go out for a bike ride. And I think that from the surface, it looked like a healthy thing. But I think mm. internally it was probably an unhealthy thing because I wasn't dealing with what was going on uh, and right. I wasn't facing it head on. And I will admit that I probably wasn't ready to face those things head on. So that's why I would just turn at the bike, right? Like, right. like I would kind yeah. of forget everything yeah. and I would have my own time. Um, yeah. So it was tough. Yeah, I find, yeah, it's true. Like we take things and we just sort of hide behind them and just do more of it. Remember I was saying, so, so sometimes the bike can be a very therapeutic thing and then, yep. or in any kind of sport, I guess, can then be or an over obsessive thing that it just becomes too much and, and you yes. just overdo, you know, to the point where, you know, your health starts failing. So talk about more of, you know, getting into your pro status and how and uh, let's go back to that and how you got into or found yourself there somebody discovered you or just sort of on the circuit enough or yeah I mean being (laughs) called like a professional cyclist domestically here in the U.S. is an interesting term right like it's not one of those things where you see like in the big sports let's say Mm. football hockey baseball basketball where you know like hey (laughs) something clicks i made it you're not getting paid that, yeah it's <laughs> yeah. a bit of a difference there yeah so i i don't know it was a really difficult a lot of hard work went into that to mm-hmm. meeting that goal um i would say 2015 is when things started to kind of turn turn for me um mm-hmm. and that's when i really started to uh kind of face these mental issues head on rather than like tiptoeing around them Uh on a daily basis. And once I started to figure that out, things started to roll for me, both physically and mentally. Uh, I didn't realize how, how often I was getting in my own way with Mm -hmm. my mental issues, both on the bike and in like my daily life. I always felt like like, I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but growing up uh, outside of high school, like, I had a hard time, like, holding a steady job for the, at oh. first, like, like, it's not like I would stay places for a couple months and leave, but, like, two years at the time was, was long for me, and I think a lot of that mm-hmm. was in my head, like, right, I would, I would lose interest of things really quickly and really easily. Um, I would intimidate myself for no reason, kind of 
feel like I, I wasn't enough to be at a certain place. I think I, you just play these weird games in your head. Um, so once I kind of figured those things out and I'm still uh-huh. figuring them out, that's kind of when my cycling started to, to follow like an upward trend. Um, right. There's still a lot to learn, a lot to uh-huh. try and accomplish. And I'm, I, I'll never be able to accomplish what I truly want to, but yeah. And a lot of that for me was centered around one particular event. And that event was this, it's called 24 hours in the old Pueblo. And it's at the moment, it's probably the biggest 24 hour race in the world. Um, And it's local to Arizona. It's actually coming up here in less than a month now. So Uh that was always kind of the big focus was, was that event. So is that when you started that event when you're 23, I guess you were saying like that's 2008 you're saying? Yeah. No. I mean, I, 2008, I just graduated from high school. Um, oh, no, 2008. I, did, I did my first 24 hour race ever, um, before graduating high school. Um, my dad and his buddies kind of talked me into it, doing it solo. <laughs> oh, solo, I, not yeah. just in a team. Yeah. You should do it solo. Yeah. Just as like, a kid. Uh, oh my gosh. And I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but it was they set you up for with good lights at least. Cause I've done one of those 24 hours and it was back in 2004. Yeah. So yeah. So you're a little young, a little earlier than you and, and Mm -hmm. we didn't have those big led lights that they do now. (laughs) Like I had like this little Tika, you know, remember those? I was just trying to make it down. I was in a team of girls, but it was just still. It's probably just like this little beam. Oh yeah, just little beam. I was trying to make it down on the the trail. I'm like, I just want to make it safely. Yeah, yeah. And, but now I'm just like, geez, you can buy anything. It was, oh, God, it's crazy how, how technology has changed over 20 years is unbelievable. It's insane. to what we had to like MacGyver back then to have like something that looked like a uh you know a, an automotive light like a car light you know just so that something bright like they were yep. hundreds and hundreds of dollars and, and heavy t- and heavy and you had to carry these batteries and everything it's just and you had to yep. charge them yeah and they probably took forever to charge back then I know like I couldn't afford one first of all mm-hmm. <laughs> but you could rent them at the race like I did 24 hours of adrenaline sure and sure. uh same deal like you know same concept yeah but uh yeah, yeah. so <laughs> yeah I just remember that oh my god don't go out on me <laughs> yeah I remember my dad with the, the first 24 hour races that I did I would always bring like a spare just flashlight yeah because <laughs> uh, I was using my dad's old lights and they were good lights but at the same time like he had done a lot of events on those lights so mm-hmm. uh, we were kind of like uh, I think it'll I think it'll hold but bring for a little one, flashlight for one just in case yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now it was it was a fun time to kind of get into the into the sport and um, it just took a it was a fun time but it took a long time to like actually grab it and run with it yeah yeah. So after that, did you start looking for other uh, mountain bike events? A little shorter? Uh, <laughs> I always found that the shorter stuff, I mean, I, I 
I obviously raced shorter events more throughout mm -hmm. the year because for me, I can't do more than uh, one or two okay. 24 hour events in a year. Oh, yeah. I don't, Oof. I don't want to do that personally. Mm -hmm. Um, but the longer stuff is what mm -hmm. I enjoy most. So like 24 hour solo races or like you touched on unbound XL. Like yeah. for me, that's what excites me the most is the really long events. And I think it excites me the most because I can go in my head mm -hmm. a lot. And for the longest time, my head scared me and it still does like the things that go on up there, but yeah. during those long races, it kind of allows me to try and problem solve what's, what's good, what's bad, what is not real, what's real. You know what I mean? It's you play, uh -huh. your mind plays a lot of tricks with you and I enjoy that puzzle now. Sometimes it still gets the best of me, but I understand. More. <laughs> yeah, I can think of some of the times when I'm on long rides. I'm like, I can get myself worked up so good on some certain topics. And I'm like, okay, so you, you got to stop that. Like, seriously, yeah. um, do you want to go back to the house with that kind of, you know, feeling, you know, towards yeah. like something super tiny that happened that day? <laughs> you know you just like blow up in, in your in your brain you're like oh god da, da, da. And i'm like i really need to listen to some music to get rid of that you know <laughs> just to you know plug into a, a podcast or something just to, to yes. drain out the thoughts and um i know people are like you know it's not good to listen to music i'm like yeah sometimes i need to um yes <laughs> to save myself you know it's not like um but yeah i can think of some of those things and you're just like Oh, drive yourself it feels like you can drive yeah. yourself crazy oh yeah like you get mad yeah, yeah. do you get like super mad on yeah your bike? I've, had, I've had everything uh and actually cry yeah <laughs> i had uh 24 hours in the old pueblo in february of 2020 because they had to unfortunately cancel the event in 2021 um the race was going better than i could have ever expected up until mm -hmm. about three or four hours to the finish. And I knew that some things were going on in my head that weren't healthy during the night. Uh, like oh. I was, I was starting to kind of get too focused on at the time, at that time, I was trying to break the course record that I had set in 2018 out there. And I had become like overly obsessed with chasing this goal of breaking the, the course record that I had. And during the night I was like, okay, I, I can tell I'm getting too into this. Like <laughs> I'm, I wasn't talking to my pit crew at the time as much as oh, I normally would. Right. Normally like I'm chatty with Mary when I come through, get a bottle handoff and everything. So that was kind of the first sign I was dealing with something. And then at about hour 20 is when I knew things were really bad. Like the guy who was in second actually was the Josh Tostado was kind of the reason I got into cycling specifically uh -huh. 24 hour racing was like, I looked up to him and I still do. Uh -huh. I was convinced that he was like hiding in bushes and was jumping out <laughs> and then like riding my Sorry. wheel. It was crazy. I like, don't want to so, laugh at you, but that's crazy. I mean, it is funny, <laughs> but it's like so unrealistic. Um, and then there were times where on the course, it felt like I would blink and then one second I'd blink and I'd be oh. to a different part of the course. And I wouldn't really recall on how I got there. Oh my! It led to like a full, full anxiety attack collapse on the course on lap. I think it was 19. Um, 
yeah. And so that was, I, I thought I had things figured out and sure enough, just as recently as 2020, it was like, nope, things you still have a lot of work to do. Uh, but that's, that's a good example of like why I enjoy these long races. You kind of <laughs> never know. Like, yeah. I love them, but oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Like you never know exactly what's going to happen. Right. It's a big puzzle. Right. So instead of listen, watching your lap times, you're, you're too busy focusing on your, the second guy behind, well, you should be, <laughs> how far mm -hmm. is he behind me? Yep. So does, does your pit crew now know the signs that they should like hold you in for a little bit longer and chat with you? For like sure. When you're, when you're like giving them weird vibes when you come in? Yeah. Mary has always known those, but at that particular at old Pubble that year it was like mm -hmm. i was up on my goal i was right at hour i think 18 we had a pretty good buffer so it was kind of like right. we didn't have the time we didn't want to waste the time of like holding mm -hmm. me back in the pit and right so i've kind of made a promise like i will speak up <laughs> if stuff like that is happening again because right. i was in a really bad way out there yeah. when i kind of came apart mm -hmm. uh i knew like when I would get confused in how I got to sections of the course, I'm like, something's going on here. Like I'm in a different world. Like I was totally gone. <laughs> That's scary. Especially, well, it was during the day now at that time. At that right? time. Yeah. That time it was, was at... close to the finish. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thinking like you could have an accident, uh, yep. you know, just losing focus on the trail mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you have to find you back in the course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where is he yep so now so you went and you crushed uh the 2021 unbound gravel xl mm -hmm. we're thinking it's about 500 kilometers now i remember you on your podcast you were talking about um <laughs> conditioning your stomach and i'm like i've never thought about that because I was, you know, I was sharing with you that I used to do adventure racing, like multi-day eight and my last one was eight days or it was, yeah, it was, it's a 10 day race, but I, we did in eight days. And I, and in all my time that I adventure raced, like 24 hours, 36 hours, six days, I never, we never thought about conditioning our stomachs. Uh -huh. And can you talk about that? Cause I thought it was quite, kind of hilarious actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the way you would like, but I could, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's probably yeah. an excuse for me to like eat junk food at a gas yeah. station, honestly. Uh, because everybody knows that feeling like when you stop at the gas station mid ride and you're like, I'm gonna grab and an extra gummy bears, yeah, bread, some you know, beef jerky, yep. salt, sugar, salt, sugar, pop, <laughs> yep. But for like, I just I was doing that for Unbound for like. For a couple of months leading into it, I every time I'd go into a gas station, I would make it a point to go in with a purpose uh -huh. and a purpose of like trying to be as quick as I could going into a gas mm -hmm. station just on training rides. So I knew exactly what to look for. Right. And like listening to my cravings. And <laughs> I found like I would crave some weird stuff. But the one thing I always kept going back to, even regardless of the temperature, was like strawberry milk. Like it could Ugh. be, yeah, it was, it's weird. And I still go for that. <laughs> I can't even summer. think of dairy at that point. 
<laughs> so like for me it was just like a taste like a milkshake yeah you know um but yeah i would go in there and i would like i would be on a mission to get x amount of calories and make sure that for six seven hour rides i would not fall behind on my mm-hmm. calorie count for those well yeah you I, can't you can't afford to because then it, it's just downhill if you let that happen yeah i mean you're in a deficit yeah. as it is mm-hmm. um but there was i my goal for training was like don't ever fall behind i had a goal yeah. of calories i need to meet per yeah. hour and i was going to get that so a lot of my nutrition came from liquid calories in the form of yeah. infinite nutrition but obviously uh-huh. i would run out of my i'd empty my bottles on training rides yeah. so i'd go in like you said beef jerky uh like <laughs> heath bars for me are like a go-to <laughs> like the toffee i don't know why i don't think uh, we have those here but I know there's, there's a variety of bars and, yep. and mine, mine are the gummy, the explosive gummy bears with the like little gel inside. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. If I'm on a road trip, those are like beside me, yep. but I can't imagine if I went in there with like the sole purpose of eating everything that I would normally crave, I'd be bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's times like when you, I would force kind of force feed that stuff down and uh you definitely leave there with your legs heavy and like your stomach even heavier uh-huh. but for for me if I just slow rolled out I knew that I would kind of soak in all of that sugar um use some of the fat and then it would turn into energy pretty quickly and sure enough the yeah. training it did during unbound it it definitely did because I I didn't fall behind the plan there did you end up sleeping? Cause this is my question. I know you did it in 24 hours, so there's probably absolutely no sleep involved, but did you ever lay down for a nap at any one time? Like at night when you kind of felt like it was, you're kind of nodding off. Cause I've fallen asleep on my bike before. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, you know, I don't, I don't, you would assume that like, I get really sleepy out there. Um, I just don't, I think it's the excitement of being on the bike yeah. and specifically for unbound we couldn't have outside support so you were your own support system so every town you came into like Mm -hmm. you had a really big job to do which was going into the gas station filling up your water bladders making sure you left topped off on food and hydration but then making sure that you left with your bags Mm. full of food right so like that was always on my mind even during the night yeah. Like even two, three hours before I'd roll into the next town, it was like, okay, we're going to start this mental checklist now of what I want, what I need. And it's a process because it's not like you have somebody handing you bottles, right? Like you're, right. you're unpacking all your trash, you're unpacking mm-hmm. all your bags. And it's this kind of, it's this checklist that you have to go through when you're fatigued and it makes it more difficult doing that. But yeah, that kept me that kept me pretty fired. <laughs> kept your head going for a while. Yeah. And I drank a ton of like, I, soda for me was working really, really well during yeah. Unbound. Like I drank disgusting. Do you dilute it with water at least? Mm-mm. Oh. <laughs> no, I just would go in and one of the gas station stops, I think I did, I can't remember now, but it was like, to, I think two sodas, two Red Bulls, oh. uh, <laughs> strawberry milk, and some other stuff within like five minutes, and just 
Yeah, it was oh, pretty nasty. That milk just curdled everything in your stomach. <laughs> yeah. I want to bring that up. I can just like can't imagine. But yeah, actually, now that I think about it, when we used to adventure race, we'd go hard for 24 hours. Like if mm-hmm. we were doing, you know, a five-day race, and then like, and that's to get us as far forward as possible. And yep. then we plan for sleep like 15 minutes night to like the next um 48 hours 72 hours yeah a little sleep here and there like a transitions or whatever on like underneath a tree so you guys are running on like true sleep deprivation because Mm -hmm. i think that 24 hours i'm not i can't speak for everybody but for me like yeah you're definitely tired at the end but everybody's experimented with staying up for 24 hours like yeah it's not that big of a deal if you do it day in day out that's when you start to really feel the yeah that's when like um and I can't imagine being on the same like on the bike for that amount of time like with adventure racing at least you you get it to transition from bike to to hike to to paddle and so there's always something different going on um which makes it interesting um mm-hmm. you know I have so I've never uh well and say not that long I did an eight hour gravel race oh sweet last yeah last my first gravel race did you <laughs> my like first it? gravel experience well knowing my like my adventure race background I just went in there I'm like Whoa! I was like I was like a kid in a candy store like I was having so much fun like each like you had to do laps yep. for eight hours so it's yep. however laps like it was a 20k loop and so and you roll into transition like fall off your bike uh, grab some water grab some food peel off piece of clothing get back on your bike Woo-hoo! let's go back out <laughs> of the game by, yeah yeah I was by myself I had a teammate out there but we weren't riding, riding together like mm-hmm. at the start I was just like Ugh. I'm like I'm gonna get as far forward as I can I you can never start eat slow like I think that's it's sudden a- death if you, if you like meander at the beginning, I'm like, I'll work a little bit harder to get myself way ahead of the whole pack and work on holding it without, you know, um, um, like blowing myself up. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the excitement always, the excitement always helps too. Yeah. So, and, uh, but, uh, but that was super fun. And I was like, you know, but that was my first event back from racing and I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. I was like, hey, you want to do this event? What is it? Oh, sure. Sign me up. Yeah. Very <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. So now I'm kind of like, oh, what can I do next? Uh, mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah. So you were, so you went out, you did Unbound, you finished that. Your next event is in a month. <laughs> yeah. It's right? coming up quick. And there's been a lot of changes for, for this year. Um, mm-hmm. from where I was last year um, really really exciting and opp- these opportunities that come up that I'm super super grateful for um, it's the first year that I'm on a on a team um, oh cool yeah so I got a a phone call from Floyd's of Leadville uh, <gasps> no way yeah and awesome Will, Will over at Floyd's um, him and I have been since we started talking a couple months ago, become really, really good friends. Um, he is heading up the team. Uh, it's really cool. The team consists of Tinker Juarez, um, 
Genevieve. Uh, yeah, I saw that. She's from Canada. I would. Genevieve Janson. Yeah, so I was going to mispronounce her last name. That's okay. <laughs> um, Anne Donnelly and then Victor Cashes. So it's a it's a really cool and exciting team. And the one thing that I appreciate about Will and everybody on the team is mm -hmm. we are kind of taking an approach of working alongside an organization called Go for Graham, which is a organization oh. built around shred shredding the stigma around mental health. Oh, um, that's awesome. Yeah, specifically in sport. So, <clears throat> oh, yeah. This team is obviously going to be super competitive at events, but at the same time, we're not losing sight of what's important off the bike. And the goal is obviously to perform at the highest level for events like the Lifetime Grand Prix, everything like that. But while doing that, like remaining human. And so, mm -hmm. At, at events the pits are going to be a place where people can come and if they're struggling themselves like hopefully oh. I'm there I can share my story or just mm -hmm. be someone that can listen to somebody um, yeah. and if people aren't comfortable doing that I totally get it like for for me the hardest part was opening up about what was going on in my head yeah. um, but at least like they'll know like hey we can either reach out to Taylor we can reach out to Will after the mm -hmm. event we can reach out to anybody on the team and they can either just listen or direct me in the right the right path to finding help and that's where go for graham comes in um so yeah i'm really really excited and grateful to to be joining that team and we have a lot of support from from brands that kind of share the same vision on on that side of things so uh super super grateful and, and excited and um it's looking is like that a, busy yeah is that a new organization sorry i didn't mean to cut you the off. go for gram yeah so they've been around for a bit um they have been I, I should check exactly what year that they were formed but they're based out of colorado um okay. really really interesting story if if you look it up uh i would recommend that everybody go to their website it's really cool how they they're using sport to kind of deal with with mental issues either anxiety or depression and i've chatted with those guys a couple times over the past year and it's they're just really personable they mm -hmm. they understand people and they're willing to listen and yeah. so um yeah it's not like they've been formed in the past couple months but we've been fortunate enough that we're kind of coming together with this team thing and uh yeah we kind of share the same same objective there yeah, let's talk about mental health and like the athlete, because I'm just thinking of um, a time when I went through something really, well, it was a divorce. So, you know, there's certain events in your life that where you just need to, sometimes sport is good and sometimes sport is bad um, because okay. it can send you on such a high and then bring you crashing down like you've never felt before and that's kind of what happened with me there's a whole month I don't even remember what, mm -hmm. what happened like um and I just started a business and uh and so let's talk about how sport is good and kind of how people can use it as too much I think I know we mentioned it like a little bit back in in our discussion but how it how we need to control it because 
you know, mental health can get away with this. And I, I remember I want to say at the time I had a therapist, well, cause mm-hmm. I'm going through a divorce and she literally told me, she's like, you cannot do it all because the, the impact and the adrenaline of everything that the sport gives you will lead you to like, I was saying like those great highs, those endorphin highs. And then because you're going through such a, a traumatic time, it's going to like, you know, you're just going to have a nervous breakdown Yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. after the event. Once you come off that high, you're just going to like hit the floor. Like you've never hit the floor before. And she says, yeah. you cannot, you cannot race. You have to choose between racing and your, you know, your business. You can't mm-hmm. do both. Like you can't function in the same space and try and do both together. You have to pick one of the two for a time, yeah. right. Until you've, you've dealt with it and, um, you can function and, and successfully, participate in an event without it impacting your life so much but yeah you talk about things like that and like maybe how you're helping athletes recognize certain things because ego plays a big role oh let's, for sure let's face it man like yeah <laughs> like like you know, be... i could do it i'm i'm i've dealt with that and you know i'm like uh-huh <laughs> yeah like you're totally right how um if you're dealing with something off of the bike mm-hmm I think a lot of people, I, I know that I would mask that with stuff on the bike. So yeah. going to an event would be this high, right. And then yeah. I could forget about this low, uh-huh. but sure enough, like post-event, whether it went good or bad, like I would come back down to that low yeah. and typically I would go below it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then, so every time that low would be set lower and lower and lower and lower. Mm-hmm. So after each event, I would go even lower and lower and lower. Yeah. Um, and I, for the longest time, would just ignore that, right? Like, I just thought, yeah. okay, I'll chase the next thing. I'll chase the mm-hmm. next thing. And that the next thing will make it better. The next thing will make it better. And I, a lot of my depression anxiety wasn't centered around the bike at all. Like, it wasn't caused by the bike, but the bike was not being used in a health, healthy way to make things better. Right. That's what I was that was the big issue I think and Mm. I think a lot of people they may say that they're using the bike in a healthy way yeah but they're probably not and I'm still guilty of not using it in a healthy way whereas I get overly obsessed with things right right? in this one track mind of like I can't fail I can't come up short if I do my self-worth is attached to that and then that makes all the other aspects of your unhealthy mental health state even worse. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so it's really, really difficult. It's this balancing act of like trying to keep it fun, keep it healthy, but also not letting it become too much and taking it too seriously. Because if yeah. we do that, it's just, if you're not having fun doing it, there's really no, there's no sense in doing it at the end of the day. How do you talk to an athlete about using the bike as a positive tool? Because I cannot tell you how many conversations I've seen in certain groups, like Facebook groups for women, you know, gone through something like, oh, like say a divorce. Oh, uh, going for a divorce. Now I have more time to train. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like, no. And, and, and you just see the pitfall coming, like whether, yeah. whatever it is, like, you know, um, they, they just like, oh, this is my okay to go do this instead of dealing with 
the trauma or dealing with the fact that you have kids, you have to, you know, child support and things like yeah. that. It's just like, it, like, I just want to scream. That's like, the, I, yeah. that's like yeah. the, big, the big question, right? Is like, mm -hmm. how do you do it? And I can give an example from my personal side of things yeah. where it was kind of the first time that I actually felt like I figured it out. Um, yeah. And like I said before, I still have so much to do until I and I'll never be able to figure this out to balance it, but I can try every time to get better at it. Right. Yeah. But Unbound XL in 2021 was the first time that I actually felt like I approached something in a really healthy way mm. and was 100% honest with myself mentally on how, regardless of how it went, I'd be happy. And I, I stayed true to that. And what led to that whole process was a couple months before Unbound, I had a pretty serious accident on my mountain bike. Um, I had a big crash on South Mountain when we were living in Phoenix at the time. Yeah. Um, I was found by some hikers. I was out cold for, oh I don't gosh. know, not too long, but a, a little bit of time. Um, I broke my clavicle where I already had an existing plate and screws in there. Oh my God. Um, I had an AC joint separation. And then we thought at the time that I had broken my scapula and my femur as well. So this was just a couple months leading into uh, Unbound, right? And um, luckily the scapula wasn't broken. Luckily the femur wasn't broken. Super grateful that the hikers found me. Um, they took the, their time out of their day to help me get off the mountain where Mary met me and took me to the hospital. And that took I was only probably half a mile from a from a paved road where I could ac get access to, but it took us over an hour just to to walk wow. out with my bike and everything. So, anyways, I was in the hospital that night, got surgery the next morning, and was dealing with a pretty severe concussion for weeks after that. Mm -hmm. Right, so mm -hmm. that didn't help my mental headspace at well at all. But what I did after that accident, leading into Unbound, was hey, I'm still going to show up and participate in race and give it everything that I have at Unbound, mm -hmm. but I've been through so much leading up to it. I consider it a win just to be at the start line. Right. So regardless of what happens, my sole goal at that event was to finish. And I mm -hmm. think that the, the cutoff time was like 35 hours. And I... I've said this before, and I don't know if I fully believed it at other events. Like if I just finish, I'll be happy. But at Unbound, yeah. I, I was like, if I come in at 34 hours, 59 minutes and 59 seconds, I truly would have been happy. Right. No, like, and I was 100% honest with myself. And mm -hmm. I think that is what allowed me to have such a good time out there and find personal success was right. I truly, I said that and I truly believed it. And I think that's, that's what it comes down to ultimately is like, you're kind of, you're racing yourself first and foremost, right? And yeah. if you can complete, first of all, if you can reach the finish line, that's win number one. Yeah. Win number two is if you can stay true to your personal goals, right? Like mm -hmm. if you set a, if you set a race plan, like with your background, racing, adventure racing, you guys had to have a plan. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. It's always good to go in with a plan and never, you, you know, 
the plan is never it it modifies itself many many it times because you know like for placing and everything and you know accident you just don't know what's on what happens on the course right so yeah, yeah it's always good to have a plan yep. um whether it comes to fruition but it's always good to have a plan <laughs> yeah and typically if you stick with that plan as best you can mm-hmm. the result is usually going to be pretty good and it yeah it's going to be good from on a personal level right yeah. like you can't complain if you if you make a plan and you stick to that plan like that's a that's a success right there so unbound yeah. was kind of the first time that i was like i felt like i went into it with a healthy mindset yeah, and just like came out of it in a healthy mindset and another thing too that i made a promise to myself prior to that that event was i wasn't going to get too high i wasn't going to get too low right so oh, okay if, if i if I, for some reason, was dealing with issues out there and I still finished, but it was after the cutoff time, I still would have been excited. So I wouldn't have allowed myself to get too low. Mm-hmm. And I ended up winning the event, but at the same time, I didn't let myself get too high. Like, right. great, I won it. But like- But that's not the biggest victory the, for that race, right? Yeah, like, the biggest victory for me was coming back from that concussion, coming back from that surgery, like mm-hmm. looking at all of yeah. the things I did leading into it rather mm-hmm. than just the result on paper. Like, yeah, it's exciting and cool to see, but there's so much more that's a victory mm-hmm. in that. And I know for me that that works it worked really well. So I plan on taking that approach moving forward a lot more. I would, I would hope that some people can take some things that I said there and maybe modify it to fit them. Mm -hmm. And maybe they can have a healthier outlook on things in terms of uh, sport in general, like, yeah, be be true to yourself and accomplish mm -hmm. those goals that you set for yourself. And the things will come after that. I think having grandiose, I mean, I know some people go in with big goals and it's good to have a goal, but sometimes, um, you know, just finishing the race is the biggest goal and whatever happens in between, like at some point you're like, oh, you're doing really well. So now I can focus on something else. Like when I did that eight hours, I'm just like, okay, you know, I can do 20 K lap like yep you know i can and i'm like "Hmm." you know i've I've ridden over 100 kilometers i can do that so i'm and i've done long distances and i'm like okay so i'm gonna go for four laps 100 kilometers and then i started i'm like okay feeling good i've like had the plan like i arrived the day before i'm all like one of the things for me about racing is to be not stressed I hate being stressed. I don't understand people who roll up on the finish start line and just like start like to me, I'm just like, so I have to like get there ahead of time. I got there. So I got there right in the nick of time to be able to drive the course That's in the dark. Anyways, it was in the dark. (laughs) It was totally different, (laughs) but that's awesome. I got, yeah, I was like, and they actually had it closed. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure I can't like just go drive it and and come back and I was and so so they let me on the course to drive because that's one of my very first I, I have to see well if I can it's a priority to see the course so I have an idea 
of what I'm getting myself into. And I can kind of plan in my head, like, oh, this like long, like hilly, like this, that. Sure. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, it's super hilly course. So I was like, and so when I drove it, I'm like, like where are the hills they're talking about? Like, I'm thinking like big hills yeah. and oh, there's a couple of steep ones. And I was just like, you know, was that the hill they're talking about? But <laughs> in any case, you know, so, so I just went in it and I had a pre, like I already, I knew what it was about. I came back, I set up my tent. I had something to eat. I slept well. I had like the whole, um, cause I'm like a, a planner when it comes to this, I, I managed our, we had, I had a master's women's team. So I was like the organizer, like mm -hmm. to the hour. I'm like, this is what we're doing. Da, da, da. <laughs> so and like the so, true logistics. Yeah. And so, but the thing is that it release, it releases all the stress of like, where's the food? Where's the, this, where's that, where's the water? Where do I find all this stuff? So it, it like getting there ahead of time, you know, people will show up like two hours beforehand I'm like no that's when I'm like chilling and warming up and like yep. figuring out what I'm gonna wear you know like <laughs> where's my sock you know that kind of thing like um yeah I I have to be like that in an event and I don't care like I was by myself my teammate rolled up an hour before start <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't like it's just like where's all my uh, I'm like yeah that You've already taken care of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I start in a really calm manner and yeah. then I assess as I go and I'm like, okay, I'm doing better than I thought. <laughs> I'm sure. just going to keep rolling. I'm going to take less time in transition and I'm just going to pump it, pump out as many, like if I can get, you know, I had, <laughs> oh, you'll love this Taylor my last lap I'm I was like yeah I'm gonna take my last lap I have two hours to do it for 20k yeah. I've been averaging about 45 an hour you know an hour about and they were getting kind of getting longer so an hour 15 you know how's your dang tired sure I'm like yeah I'm gonna take my time the last race because I didn't really realize that they were timing it like I was just like you know laps yeah and and so I was like do 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 I'm gonna stop at the pit zone and talk to the people <laughs> Yeah. But then I, one lady rolled up to me and we're in categories, hey, for women. And uh, so I was talking like, oh, what category are you? And I'm like, okay, I'm not, she's not competing with me. And then another girl rolls up. And she's like, yeah, I'm in this age category. I'm like, <laughs> I just put the gas on and left. Her. So I'm did like, you have to go out again? No, no, this is my last lap. Okay. And so I'm just like, there ain't no way that I'm going to let her pass me. And yeah. then I just like, I'm just going to make it to the it was long <laughs> but and one girl ended up passing me I'm like I can't even I can't even go faster <laughs> if I wanted to yeah. and I could see it, it was like the green mile this long road to this light and that was like where the finish was I'm like oh I'm almost there I can't just like climb to get there it was you know the slow the the slow straight like oh, yeah. lead in yep <laughs> anyways I'm just it like, feels like it just I'm, takes forever. Yeah. And it was just so funny because I was like, yeah, I'm doing really well. And I'm just going to like take my time. And then I'm like, what? This is timed. And I'm like, what? You're in my category? Forgot. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no way you're going to pass me. So, anyways, but That's that was cool. like the competitive side that, you know, super kicked in. But, anyways, you're right. So, like, 
showing up stress-free is is a big oh. thing too like I know for yeah. me what works is uh I typically pack all of my stuff mm-hmm. two or three days before we depart mm. town whether it's a flight or drive like yeah. I just like to have everything packed and then typically a checklist before yeah so then like it feels like it weights off my chest just before we leave. Like I've packed everything. I've usually yeah. packed way more than I need, but <laughs> at least the, at least it's done and I can always bring it home, right? Yeah. It's like the wheels, the tools, yeah, all my gear. And yeah, so I've got it all organized now, but I think that is so important, like to make the time to, to, put that kind of effort into having a stress-free and then you won't be playing like all the, you know, I didn't eat enough. I didn't do this enough. I didn't sleep enough. You know, it's just that, that can really weigh in on you. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Um, so I don't know, do you have any, um, can you tell us more before we leave a little bit more about, Oh, I had, I did one thing that came to me. So you're used to rising by yourself. Mm -hmm. Now that you have a team, do you think that that's going to change the way you're used to setting up yourself to race? Because now you have teammates to think about and that's a changer. Like, yeah. Um, I don't don't think it's going to change the way that I race as a whole mm-hmm. um so events like 24 hours in the old Pueblo right I won't yeah. have any teammates racing with me there right. um but the team will have a presence there in the pits okay. so will right. will be okay. there um the atmosphere will be there in the pits so people can come and hang mm-hmm. out at the Floyd's of Little Tent um that's an interesting question is if it will change the way that I race. Uh, because you know how, I guess it depends on the race that the team is attending. Like if correct. you're all going to like a gravel race, like say you're doing unbound together, like mm-hmm. odds are you're not going to be riding as a team. Like it's correct. just to make sure everybody finishes, but I guess there's some that are points races. You're just going for team points. So, so yeah, the gravel stuff. Now. Yeah. The gravel stuff is uh, the big series now is the lifetime Grand Prix. Um, so it's oh, a, okay. it's a healthy mix of gravel and mountain bike stuff. Oh, okay. um, people, obviously there's, there's some drama here in the States with the team aspect, especially in the gravel scene. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I think it's a lot harder to pull off team tactics on the gravel versus yeah. the road. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I am super grateful for is having a team behind me yeah, and supporting me both mm-hmm. during the race and in the pits in the days leading up to the event and after, mm-hmm. like I've never been in this position before. I've always done it on my own with Mary. It's yeah. been kind of Mary and I as a team. Yeah. Uh, so having that support is hugely beneficial yeah right because I feel like I don't just have to burden Mary with either positive things or negative things right will the team manager she's gonna miss you oh my gosh (laughs) will the team manager is will be and is so good at um 
coordinating logistics for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Going in with a professional attitude. And of course we want to go as fast as we can and tackle these races in a strategic way, whether it means only one of us is racing at an event or a whole team is. Uh, But for me, I think that just the idea of having additional support there is going to be Mm -hmm. a huge boost, right? I know that there's people in the pit that are there to support me and I'm there to support them as well. So I think we can all kind of feed off each other. And if someone's struggling before an event, we can, we can be there to help them. Same goes for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's going to be really interesting and really new to me. And I'm super excited about that because like I well, said, that's good. <laughs> that's yes. good you're excited about that because it's not like a road race team because Correct. that's true. Like, so if you're all going to an event, everybody's racing their own race. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah, the, the team aspect on the gravel, like I said, is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. cause it is, it is tough to, to race like a road team on the gravel it just yeah, is there's, there's, there's more opportunity for mechanicals there's more opportunity uh-huh. for the terrain to get in the way um jockey for position is different than in a road event but right. um yeah i think that having a support crew around me in a team team atmosphere is going to be going to be huge because uh, i thrive off of stuff like that i thrive off of having a support system and I've always had yeah. a good support system, but just to have something really concrete and professional like this is hugely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice having other people by yourself. I've done races by myself many times and uh, sometimes it's great because you don't have to deal with other people, but then sometimes it's like you wish you had other people to, to ride alongside with, but mm-hmm. so with that, we have lots of things, lots of time to watch you um, excel this summer in Floyd's race team, which is super exciting to 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 share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners before we bring it to an end? For sure, um, I think the big thing is if anyone listening is at an event where Floyd's of Leadville is and you see any of us there come and say hi come and sit down um we are supported by um Reed's Ginger Ale and Virgil's Root Beer so um come and share one of those with us in the pits um also if you are struggling you or anybody you know are struggling with anxiety depression anything like that if you're, if you're not comfortable with talking to us there in the pits, feel free to shoot myself or anybody else a message, either on Instagram, whatever it is. You can find me on Instagram, my personal website. I don't use Facebook as much, um, but I can just be someone that will listen if that's what you need, or if you want to talk about what you're going through, I'll also be there. Um, I think having a support system in the cycling world centered around mental health issues is really important. So I want people Mm -hmm. to know that um, I'm here on an individual level, but also Floyd's of Leadville Racing as a team will be there for people too. That's amazing. That's amazing to know. And I remember you uh, hearing you say that, that, you know, your ear is always 
there for people to reach out to you on Instagram. So with that, um, thank you for taking in our episode. And as a listener, we always appreciate you. Um, don't forget to follow Taylor on Instagram, myself on Instagram, and the podcast, Secrets from the Saddle podcast on Instagram as well. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube. So you can actually see Taylor. <laughs> Sometimes that's nice to watch and listen at the same time. Um, with that, have an amazing day, everyone. And um, thank you again. This has been great. I don't thank know you why so I was much. so stressed, but <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is a great topic to talk about. But thank I you. appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.